the Girl Means Business podcast. I'm your host, Kendra Swalls. Over the last few years, I have built a business that allowed me to quit my nine to five, spend more time with the ones that I love, and live my best life. Now, I'm sharing everything I learned along the way with you. Each week, my guests and I will share actionable tips, tangible advice, and honest conversations to help you build your dream business. So get ready to take notes and put in the work because this girl means business. Hey guys, welcome back to another week on the Girl Means Business podcast. I hope you are having a wonderful week so far. Today, I'm really excited about our guest. I am chatting with Elizabeth Hill, who is a legal expert and winery owner in Lubbock, Texas. She and her husband run Berkeley Hill Vineyards out of Lubbock and Leveland, and she is telling us all about how to get your business set up legally so that you know you're doing things the right way and don't have complications or problems further down the line. So she and I chatted about setting up your LLC, creating contracts, and making sure that your business is legit from day one. So before we get started with our interview with Elizabeth, I want to remind you about one of our amazing sponsors, QuickBooks. So talking about legal, you can't talk about legal advice without talking a little bit about money as well. And guys, QuickBooks makes managing the money in my business so incredibly easy. I have the QuickBooks self-employed app on my computer as well as on my phone. It tracks my invoices, my income, my expenses, and my favorite part is it tracks my miles. So I have the QuickBooks apps on my phone, and every time I make a trip somewhere, it records that trip mileage in the app. And all I have to do is go in and swipe left or right to let QuickBooks know whether that was a personal trip or a business trip. If it's a business trip, I just put in what it was for. But guys, it helps me keep track of the little trips I take in my business that I was forgetting to keep track of in the past. Things like running to someone's house to deliver products or going to the post office to mail packages or going to a meeting with a client down the road at Starbucks. Those types of mileage I was forgetting to put into my QuickBooks account, but because the app is tracking it for me, it makes it super, super easy. And because I know all of you listening want to make your life a lot easier, QuickBooks is offering you half off your membership when you sign up using the Girl Means Business link. So go to bit.ly forward slash GMB QuickBooks, that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash GMB QuickBooks, or head over to today's show notes and get the link there. All right, guys, let's get to our interview today with the amazing Elizabeth Hill. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you today? I'm great, Kendra. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for being part of the Girl Means Business podcast today. I am really excited to chat with you. So you run the Berkeley Hill Vineyards, and that's in Lubbock, correct? Yes, we're in Lubbock and a nearby small town called Leveland. Okay, awesome. Funny story, my great-grandmother is from Leveland. Leveland, I can never say it right. So Yes, okay. Not many people know about, but I have connection to, so... Awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's a great little town. We love it. Awesome. Okay, so I want to start off by just having you kind of tell us your story. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are right now. Sure. Well, I have kind of a dual career. I am an attorney, and I actually went back to law school as a second career. I was a counselor before that, so I've had way too much school. <laughs> but I, uh, when I was um, about to go to law school, I met my husband, Chase, and he grew wine grapes at the time. And he still does today, but he started out as a grower. And so over the years, as we got married, and um, he continued to make uh, grow wine grapes. And then we wanted to get into the wine making business. And so about three years ago, we started making wine. And so now I'm involved in both my own law practice and Berkeley Hill Vineyards, our winery and vineyard that produces wine here in the Lubbock area. That's amazing. So was wine or grape growing in his family or was it just something he was interested in that he started doing on his own? 
Well, so it's kind of interesting. His family, they have been growers of all different kinds of crops for decades. I think he's like the fifth or sixth generation. It's a really neat deal. So they've had this family land for about 100 years, and they've grown all kinds of crops. Um, Cotton's really big in this area, so they've grown cotton. They've grown alfalfa, peanuts, um, soybeans. I've heard they've even uh, grown cucumbers for McDonald's, they've told me. So they've never been... (laughs) They've never been afraid to grow something new. And um, back in 2002, a wine grape grower visited the land um, named Neil Newsom. He's a a grower here in the area that's been growing for over 30 years. And he looked at the land and he said, wow, this would be a great site for a vineyard. The elevation looks good. There's good water. And so uh, Chase and his dad ordered about five acres of vines to try it out. And it just went from there. And now it's the only crop they grow. Um, They do lease some cotton land to someone else, but they love growing wine grapes. And really Chase has been managing it. He was in college at the time when they planted the first five acres. And uh, he got a degree in horticulture. So really studied and learned how to grow wine grapes well. That's so amazing. You know, I've always been, uh, I love wine. I'm a, I'm a fan of wine, if you want to put it that way. And yes. I love going to vineyards. You know, there's, a, there's several I know in, that, in the Lubbock area. And there's a couple here in the DFW area, and of course, down in the hill country down by Austin. And it's always interesting to me, just the process of it all and learning about that world because you know we go and we buy a bottle of wine and we enjoy it you don't think about all the everything that goes into it so what, what was that like for you like learning about that world and was it something that you also got interested in with him and y'all did it together now or is it still kind of like that's his thing and you just kind of tag along Well, I really dove in wholeheartedly. I'm like you, I really enjoy wine. When I met him, I was not, my palate was not developed or anything like that. I was drinking, I I like to joke, I was drinking like the big giant Moscato that you could get at Walgreens. That's (laughs) the starter wine. Awesome. And it's super cheap and, and, I really didn't have much experience, but I started drinking the wine that um, their wine grapes produced. And other, at the time, other wineries would buy wine grapes from them. And so I developed my own palate and learned about the industry. And then as an attorney, when I was in law school, I even did a paper on the vineyard industry and just all the different legal implications. So I really dove all in. And now I'm probably the wine connoisseur in the family. That's awesome. That's so cool. Okay. So going back to your journey, so you said you were a counselor and now you you went back to law school. Now you're a lawyer and also run the vineyard. So kind of walk me through that journey. Well, yeah. So um, I just kind of reached a point in my life. I was a single mom trying to decide what I wanted to do. And I had always really enjoyed the law. I'd worked at a law practice whenever I was in college. And I decided, you know, I've always had that in the back of my mind wanting to do that. And you know, this is the time. And so I went back to law school. Luckily, Lubbock has an excellent law school in Texas Tech University. And so luckily they took me and I had an incredible experience. And I knew from the first week of classes that I was in the right place and I was meant to be an attorney. So it it was the best decision. It was hard to do at the time because I had three small children, but I was able to do it and it was the best decision. Yes. That's so inspiring. In fact, so one of my best friends actually went to law school at Tech. So I know they have a great law school. She practices here in Dallas now. But awesome. I, yeah, um, I think that's so inspiring that you did that while having your three kids. Because a lot of people would have looked at their circumstances and thought, it's too late for me. You know, and I think a lot of people, a lot of moms, especially once they have kids and they start thinking you know, they're in their 30s or even like their early 40s. And they're like, oh, it's too late for me to make that career shift too late for me to try something new. But I love that you just jumped in and was like, no, if I'm going to make this happen, I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to make it work. And whether it's hard, it's difficult, it's trying, it's, it's obviously what you were meant to do. And I think that's so amazing. Well, thank you. You know, it's, 
really interesting because I think that honestly, to go back a little bit later gives you some advantages. And I believe that I probably did better as a non-traditional student than I would have if I'd come straight out of um, undergrad. And so I think there are some real advantages to going back at that time. So obviously it's a challenge, but you've got some life experience that really aids you. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, definitely... I've had this kind of dilemma and this is getting a little off track, but with just college and generally, you know, I went the traditional route of, I went straight from high school to college, but then I didn't go back and get my master's until several years later. I was in my late twenties. And even though that's still fairly young, I did see a huge difference in how I did school. Actually, you know, like I was more dedicated. I was more committed. I was there for the right reasons, I guess. And not just because it was the next step in my journey. And I can definitely see how, you know, when you ask an 18 year old to say, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? And then spend the next four years doing that. It's a big jump. And it's a lot to ask someone that young when you may get into your thirties, late twenties, thirties, forties. And then finally at that point realize this is what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> so That's so true. Yeah. You don't really know. I mean, at least I didn't. I didn't know no. who I wanted to be whenever and I graduated from undergrad at 21. So I was really young. And yeah. I, you know, I just honestly had not developed into the person that I was going to be yet. Yeah. And I don't think you have enough life experience at age to even know really what it is you want to do in life. You know, I think that when you're 18, 19, 20, and you are given kind of these basic options of, you know, I want to be a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer, or whatever it might be, you don't even know what other options are out there because you don't have enough life experience. That's so true. And I really think that some of my life experiences, seeing other attorneys and learning from them inspired me. And so that definitely led to who I am now. Yeah. So you're practicing law full-time, correct? I am. Yes. And what kind of law do you do? Do you do like mostly for the wineries and things like that? Or do you do more like family, smaller stuff? Well, I do some wine law and this area in Texas is really growing as far as wineries goes. It's actually, we grow 80 to 85% of the fruit for wine throughout the state of Texas. And so um, it really has conditions similar to Napa Valley here because we're dry. So this area is developing in wine law and I have been setting up um, wineries permits for them and I really enjoy that. But the bulk of my business is still business law. So I work with small businesses, and we do anything from uh, setting up entities, drafting contracts, we discuss employment issues, and I also do litigation, which means lawsuits. And um, so I do some collection matters, some contract disputes, and so pretty much anything a business needs, except I don't give tax advice. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Good to know. Okay. So yeah, so I want to kind of jump into some of the legal stuff and then I'm going to circle back around later and I want to talk a little bit more about the winery and how y'all kind of got that off the ground. So I think that's really interesting and it's something different and unique we haven't had on the show before. So let's talk a little bit about the legal side of things. So a lot of listeners that are tuning into this show are kind of new to business, just starting out small business. A lot of them are moms who are starting a business on the side with dealing, you know, growing, raising a family, maybe even working full time. So what would you say is kind of the first step if you're starting a business is for getting it to be a legal business? I think a lot of people start things kind of as a hobby and then they don't know when to make that leap into full-fledged, let's set this up as an actual business. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you've been listening to the Girl Means Business podcast for any amount of time, then you know my love of email marketing runs deep. Not only is it a great way to generate new leads, but it's one of the most effective methods for nurturing warm leads and turning them into sales. Now, over the years, I've tested several email platforms, and my favorite by far is Flowdesk. Not only do they make email marketing simple and easy, even for the technically challenged, but they have everything you need to create stunning emails, capture leads, make sales, and automate the entire process, giving you time back in your busy day. And the cherry on top is you're only charged one flat fee no matter how many subscribers you have. 
So while other platforms will increase your price when you go over your pricing tier limit, Flowdesk has no price increases or hidden fees. If you're ready to give Flowdesk a try, click the link below in the show notes to save 50% off your first year. Let Flowdesk help you design emails people will love. Click the link below and check it out. I have a feeling you're going to love it just as much as I do. Well, I always say it's easy to do. It's not difficult. You should set up an entity. So for example, either a corporation or a limited liability company, which we call LLCs, which is the bulk of the majority of people choose an LLC. And it keeps your finances separate from your personal and your business. And we are obligated to do that for tax reasons. And so it's smart, even if it's going to be a small side gig to keep it separate from the beginning, because you never know where it will go. And setting up an entity allows you to keep your finances separate for liability reasons as well. And as an attorney, that's usually my primary concern. So let me ask you a question with the LLC. So the LLC, from what I understand it, is can be kind of this big like umbrella. Because let's say you have somebody, well, I'll just use myself as an example. So I started off with my business as a photography business. And it grew from there. And now I do photography. I also have like a photo booth company. I also have my education side with the podcast and things like that. Now, all of that can go under my photography LLC. Is that correct? It can, yes. There are um, some advantages to keep it under one, and there are some advantages to separate it out. Okay. Because I know I've had some people ask me in the past where they say, well, you know, I want to put my LLC under my business name, let's say, for example, in photography, but what if I branch off and do other things? How would that work? And my understanding, I just wanted to make sure I was clear on that. That's why I was asking you was that it can all kind of go under the one as sort of like separate, you know, DBAs and business names, correct? Yes, absolutely. So an LLC can have multiple DBAs and we have that, um, but we also created separate LLCs for different locations. And mostly that is for liability reasons, but also in the winery industry, the regulations pretty much require you to do that. Gotcha. Okay. Good to know. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the next step. So once you've set up your entity, most people are probably doing, especially in the photography world or small business world, LLC is kind of the the go-to there. So once you have your LLC established, what is the next step in setting up legal aspects of your business? Well, if you if you work with an attorney, and I know that it's expensive, but I do recommend trying to work with an attorney initially. The attorney can help you set up your bylaws or regulations, which will govern your business, and it will determine things like your tax status. And I always recommend um, having an accountant on hand, someone that you can ask uh, recommendations as far as what you should set up as your tax status. And so... I really do think that using an attorney is important. I understand a lot of people do it on their own and do just fine, but that way you can have all of the formalities that the law requires, like bylaws and regulations and initial minutes and election of officers and things like that. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that's really tricky when you're starting. I know for me, when I was first starting my business, I had no idea like what I was supposed to be doing. I was kind of just winging it. I was like, okay, so I started this business and now what? And I was, it was me having to Google things or hearing people in other like Facebook groups or networking groups I was in making comments. I was like, oh, I don't know what that means. I had to go like look it up. Are there any resources you recommend for people where they can kind of get, I guess maybe like a step-by-step guide or something that kind of tells them like when you set up a business, here are some of the things that you need to start with. Because I just think that the lack of knowledge, I think people don't know, okay, I need to set it up as an LLC or I need to, you know, get these things in order. So what do you recommend? I know you said going with an attorney, but even if they don't know to do that, is there some place you would send them or something you recommend that they can go and kind of check out as far as this is the steps you need to take? 
Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, the in Texas, for example, and I know a lot of a lot of states have this. The Secretary of State does have some good resources on their website. You can also go to the Small Business Administration's website, the SBA. I know they have some incredible resources for new small businesses, and a lot of areas have local offices. And so I know people have gone in and met with counselors there that advise them on developing a business plan and. And so I would bet SBA or the Small Business Administration would be your best bet. Okay, awesome. I'm definitely, I will look that up. And I'm going to link it in the show notes just so people can kind of find that or know to look for it in their area. Perfect. Yeah. Um, okay. So I know for me, one of the first things I really dove into setting up my business was contracts, getting contracts in place, working with clients, working with other vendors. So for when I was shooting weddings, you know, having something in place for, any other vendors that I worked with, or if I'm working with a hair makeup artist, things like that. Are there any tips you have for when it comes to creating contracts? I think a lot of people just kind of go to Google once again, and they don't really know what needs to be in there, how to protect themselves and their clients. So what tips do you have on that that front? Well, um, and I know this sounds like self-promotion, but I've just seen it so many times. Um, I do recommend using an attorney for a contract. I will say that those um, legal Zoom kind of sites or sites where you can find your own contracts, the issue is that those are often written for all 50 states and every state has different laws and contract law is typically governed by state law. And so that's kind of an issue there. But I would really try to think about what ifs. So when you're developing a contract, you think about all the possible what ifs. Um, What if this happens? What if they don't pay on time? What's going to happen then? What if something happens, some catastrophe? How are y'all going to handle that? Um, Is there going to be a refund? And so, for example, with wine grape contracts, I like to see them being pretty specific as far as What happens if the crop is damaged by weather? What happens if um, the bricks, which is the sugar levels, are not as high as you hoped they would be? And so contracts really need to address what happens in all of the different scenarios that could possibly happen. And so in your individual industry, when you're developing your business plan, I would say kind of list out what are all the things you think might happen or you've heard might happen because sometimes it's just, you know, trial and error and learning what possibly could happen, but really defining terms, defining what happens in the what ifs. That's the most important part in a contract. And I think that's scary for some people because that means you have to sit down and kind of create your list of worst case scenarios. Yeah, which it's is not, not fun, fun to think about. No, it's not. But it's so it's so good to have in place. I think a lot of times people starting out, they think, oh, well, I'm just working with family and friends or, oh, I'm not big enough yet that I don't need to worry about that. But you never know when it's going to come back to bite you. And so you want to make sure you're covered from day one as much as you can be. So let's say someone gets into a situation where a client is unhappy with a product or service. And what tips do you have for the business owner going from that point of view? Like if they have someone who is maybe either threatening legal issue or is unhappy with what they received. Well, you can always try to work it out yourself. And sometimes that does work well, but, um, I I help my clients with that. For example, just because you hire an attorney does not mean you're going to court. Sometimes it helps to remove you from an emotional situation. For example, if it's become um, kind of a source of bitterness or frustration, then getting attorneys involved can sometimes help with that. But I've also seen clients be able to work it out um, face-to-face or, or sit down with the other party. Another option, and you can put this in your contract, is that you would be um, required to use mediation before any type of legal action. And courts will enforce that. So for example, if your contract says you have to go to mediation first and someone files suit, then the court will say, hey, look, you agreed to go to mediation. I'm going to abate or stop this case until you go to mediation to try to work this out. You can also add an arbitration provision, which arbitration is kind of interesting. It's where a person that is not a judge decides your your matter. So 
arbitration can be considered a little risky sometimes, but it's usually faster and less expensive than the court system and going through, you know, an 18 to 24 month case as it can be. So there's a lot of good options that you can put in your contracts and I always recommend some type of alternative dispute resolution like mediation. Yeah. One thing you said that, that made me kind of think of something is I think that it's when you own your business, when it's a small business, like a lot of the women listening to this episode, it's hard to separate the business from the personal. And so I know for me, when I've had a client come back and and be unhappy with something or, or kind of push back a little bit on the contract or question something, I take it really personally and I internalize it. And it's, it's hard for me to separate the two. So I think that that's a really good reason to have a lawyer that you can go to and say, I need somebody that can help me kind of step in and separate the personal from the business. Yeah. And it really, I think a lot of times it allows the resolution to come more quickly because you do have kind of that go-between middle person to buffer some of that emotional and personal um, offense that's been taken as it's always the case in those situations. So if someone were looking for a lawyer to work with, what do you suggest looking for when kind of researching lawyers? And I said, you work with a lot of small businesses or businesses in general. So that would be a good person to go to. And I'll definitely link to all of your contact info in the show notes if anyone wants to reach out to you. But let's say Thank that you. somebody's in a different state or and you know needs somebody in their area locally. What do you recommend kind of asking, what questions to ask, what to look for when trying to find a lawyer to work with for your business? Well, I would ask if that lawyer practices in business law specifically and if they have experience in business litigation. And the reason that you might want to have someone that can reach litigation if necessary is that a way you don't have to change lawyers if something does happen where you end up in a lawsuit. And obviously, that is the last thing that any business owner wants. But I've learned from the beginning of practicing law that sometimes it's just part of operating a business, Um, especially as you grow, as you get bigger, sometimes there are disputes that come up. And so finding a lawyer that can take it all the way through if there is going to be litigation would be important, but also someone who has good knowledge of entity development, contract formation, the ins and outs of just day-to-day operation as well. You know, lawyering is kind of kind of like practicing medicine. There's so many different areas. And so I, for example, I do not know anything about criminal law, thank goodness. <laughs> and I don't practice in family law. So I've never taken either one of those kinds of cases because I just don't know that area of the law like I do business. And so you want to make sure you have someone who specifically knows business law. I think that's great. Yeah, I think it's hard. You know, we get this a lot as photographers. People will contact you and say, hey, do you do, like for me, they'll say, hey, do you do newborn photos? I'm like, no, I don't. It's not my specialty. I don't feel comfortable with it. I don't know the ins and outs of that. If you ask me about wedding photography, I'm all over it. And, but then we get frustrated when people don't understand that we have a specialty, but then we turn around and do the same thing with other industries. We're like, Oh, you're a lawyer. You can help me with this. And you need to pay attention to the fact that not every lawyer works in every aspect of the law. So that's good to know. Yeah. You know, it's just like anything. You can specialize and be really, really good at something. Um, And when you try to do everything, sometimes you just don't know enough about each area to be really good at any of them. Yeah. And especially in your field, you need to be really good at what you do. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, okay. So next question I had was, um, if someone's looking for a lawyer, I know that it's really overwhelming sometimes with just the legal jargon and not understanding the terms or feeling, I guess, intimidated by the whole process. And I think, you know, I talked about this when I did an interview with a financial planner and I was saying to her, I was like, you know, it's refreshing to see a kind of a female face and female voice on the other side of it. Because a lot of times we think of financial planners and we think of lawyers as kind of being stuffy old men in suits in these big leather offices. And it's intimidating for, you know, a woman and a mom who's just kind of starting this little small business. So what advice do you have for the people who kind of feel a little bit overwhelmed or intimidated by the whole legal aspect of business and what can they do to kind of 
work through that and not let it overwhelm them or intimidate them? Well, I would say do your research and really get to know potential lawyers that you might be hiring. If someone does just kind of bombard you with legal jargon that you don't understand and they don't make the effort to help you understand, then they may not be the right person for you because really it should be a conversation where you can both understand each other and I try to do that. I know sometimes we as lawyers, we have so many terms that we use, but it was funny when my first year of law school, I didn't have much experience. I'd worked in a law law office like maybe 10 years before. And so anytime I heard a term, I was Googling. I was Googling so many terms, but really you should, your lawyer should help you with that. And so if you meet someone and they just don't make you feel comfortable, I'd say just keep looking. You can also talk to friends, other people that, you know, I know, a lot of Facebook groups pop up in industries for people starting out and ask them if they know anybody in the area or your friends. And a lot of times, that's how I get most of my referrals for my law practice is through word of mouth. And I think it's because it is such a personal relationship. It's a fiduciary relationship. And Mm -hmm. so it's important that you feel comfortable for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. So before we move into talking a little bit more about your winery business, is there any other advice you have for ladies out there that are starting a business or thinking about starting a business when it comes to making sure everything is in place legally? Well, I'd make sure that you really research and know what you're required to do if you do things like online sales, for example, because every county has a different sales tax rate. And I know there's some good software out there to make sure that you get all your taxes um, done correctly. But make sure that you do the things that you're supposed to do, like get a sales tax ID, obviously, with the comptroller's office. Uh, Your bank usually requires you to get a federal employment identification number, employer identification number. And so make sure you go through all the steps and talk to somebody, whether it be the Small Business Administration or your attorney, about what other steps you might need to be taking just to make sure that you avoid headaches later down the road. Gotcha. Okay, I thought of one more question before we move on. So let's say that there's someone who is starting a business and it requires them to hire employees. So the example I'm thinking of is, you know, a hair and makeup artist who is hiring other girls to go and help them do services. What do they need to have in place legally when now it's no longer just you, you now have people working with you for you. How do you protect them and protect yourself going forward? Well, you have to make sure in Texas and most states, there's some type of workforce commission. So you have to register with the workforce commission. You have to, and they have some really good resources on their website that let you know what you should and shouldn't be doing. Anytime you hire a new employee, there are some forms they do need to fill out for taxes and you need to make sure that you are paying those taxes. And I've seen businesses get into major trouble thinking, oh, well, I'll catch up on those later at the end of the quarter or the end of the year. They've got a bill um, that's very difficult to pay. And that's one of those kinds of bills that they will figure out a way to get that money from you. So you've got to make sure you keep up with that. The other thing that I see that I would say be very careful of is a lot of people try to contract labor instead of having employees. And you Mm -hmm. can do that, but you just have to make sure that they are genuinely um, a contract laborer. And what that means is that person provides their own equipment. They have a particular expertise that they are providing and you are contracting with them for them to come and do what they are an expert at. Uh, For example, um, I have a photographer that I sometimes use here um, in Lubbock. He's actually my cousin, but he's a real photographer. He does a great (laughs) job. And so I contract with him um, to do um, photographs. He comes on his own schedule, sets it up. He's the expert. He brings his own equipment. He is genuinely um, contract labor. Someone who comes when you tell them to uses your equipment and is under your direction, that is an employee. And so you have to be really, really careful between the two and making sure that you're not um, calling someone a contract laborer that's really an employee because you'll end up getting taxed on that and that's no fun. Yeah. No, that's good to know because I definitely think there's um, kind of a blurred line in some of that case, those cases, especially when, you know, for example, like when you're shooting weddings, you always have a second photographer. To me, that's contract because they're using their equipment, they're using their talent. You are just hiring for that one job. 
Whereas if you had an assistant or a team that went with you to every single wedding and you provided everything for them and they just showed up, did the work and then left, then that would be a completely different situation. So thank you for clarifying that. Cause I think that that's something people are, get a little confused about sometimes. Now, going back to the contract thing, when it comes to employees in contract labor, um, do you recommend obviously having different contracts for each of those? Everyone should be under a contract, correct? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, photographers, are you ready to make 2024 your best year yet? Growing a business is tough. You're following all the successful photographers and experts, soaking up their best advice and downloading all their free guides, trying to replicate their success only to come up lacking, blaming yourself when their methods don't work for you. But the truth is, it isn't you. Free content and one-size-fits-all courses can only get you so far. What you need is personalized help and guidance, but that can get expensive. Well, not anymore. I've created the perfect solution to get you personalized results for less than $2 a day. Introducing the Focus Photographer Lab, a one-of-a-kind coaching membership that gets you one-on-one results for a fraction of the cost of traditional coaching. Inside the lab, you'll find the three C's to success, classes, coaching, and community. With classes, you gain access to a treasure trove of pre-recorded trainings and invaluable resources. With coaching, you get monthly live trainings and Q&A sessions, along with my favorite part, the weekly one-on-one office hours, where we get to address your unique questions and challenges. And then there's the community, where you get to connect with an amazing group of talented female photographers who share your passion, supporting each other and inspiring each other to greatness. The best part is it doesn't come with an expensive one-on-one coaching price tag. You get all of that for just $47 a month. You can even try it for free for 14 days to make sure it's a good fit for you. And there is no contract and no obligation you can cancel at any time. So what are you waiting for? Head down to the show notes and click the link to learn more and get signed up today. And let's make 2024 our best year yet. Yes. And you can put together a real simple employment contract or you can have a labor contract. And a lot of times, if someone is an expert, like photographers, for example, they will have their own contract and y'all can negotiate it. I don't necessarily suggest always just signing someone else's contract because it's often written to favor the other side. And so you should definitely scrutinize it first. But yes, I'm a big proponent for having it in writing. Stuff will come up and you need to know the what ifs of when it comes up, what do we do next? Yeah, good to know. Yeah, because I think there's, you know, I see it way too many times and it makes me so nervous when someone will contact me to do it, you know, to work with them on a project or work with them on a wedding shoot or whatever. And then there's no contract involved. A lot of times it's because we're friends or we've worked together before and it feels awkward sending somebody this formal contract, but it really does help cover your rear end and it covers theirs too, because you want to make sure that y'all both have the same agreement of what's expected of each other, the same understanding of, you know, if there's pay involved, the same understanding of like what you're going to provide versus what they're going to provide and all that kind of stuff. And it doesn't have to be some, you know, huge thing. It's just, it needs to be a written agreement. I think that both of you come to terms on and that you have an understanding about. Absolutely. And sometimes it does feel a little awkward if you're working with a friend or someone that you know really well, but in the end, it will benefit both of you so much just to have it in writing. So you know what to do and what to expect. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So I wanted to move on and talk a little bit about your winery business. So tell me a little bit about what y'all are doing right now. Do you have like an actual winery people come in and do tastings? Do you have a tasting room or is it at the vineyard? How is that working for y'all? Well, so it's really interesting. The winery industry has developed a way to get into the winery industry without having to buy all of this just incredibly cost prohibitive equipment. So we've been over the last few years gathering it gradually. So right now, obviously, we grow our own wine grapes. When we pick those, we sell some of the wine grapes to other wineries, and then we keep some for ourselves. And up until this year, we've been doing custom crush, meaning that there's another facility in the area that assists us by we can come in and using their equipment. 
And so we've been doing that. It's been a great experience. We've made some really good wine. We are involved in the entire process, but we're able to lease that equipment. This year, we are starting to make some of our own wine, and we're still kind of sharing um, a facility with someone else, but we bought some of our own bins and barrels and tanks and equipment, and so it's really fun. We're having a good time. And then from there, once we get the wine in the bottle, we do have a tasting room. We are about to have two. Right now, we have the original tasting room in Leveland, the little town I was telling Mm -hmm. you about. And then we're going to be opening a tasting room in Lubbock, hopefully by the end of 2019. Both of the tasting rooms are in historic old buildings. And so it's really fun. It's just been an incredible challenge. With The new tasting room in Lubbock is in the Crest building. And if you've ever heard of the Crest department stores, they were built in the 20s and 30s all across America, and they were all just architecturally stunning. And so a lot of these old Crest buildings have been renovated and turned into new businesses because the Crest department stores went away about 30 years ago. And so we've had so much fun, but it's taken a lot to get a 90-year-old building up to code. Oh my gosh, I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah, but um, we've really enjoyed that model. We've enjoyed the tasting room. We also serve food because we think that, you know, wine is best paired with food and friends. And Mm -hmm. so that's the way we're doing it right now. We're hoping to gradually have our own facility. We'd love to have everything at the same location, but right now the tasting rooms are both in downtowns of Level land and Lubbock. That's so amazing. I love, I'm excited for y'all because that's so fun. I love, love, love old buildings. It's just, there's some charm to those that you don't get when you have all these new builds, these new places going in. That's, it definitely adds kind of an ambiance to what, you know, when you go in for a wine tasting, you don't want to walk into some place that feels shiny and new always. You want to kind of have that like cozy, comfy feel to it. So that's really, really cool. It is. The old building that we're in in Leveland was actually owned by my husband's grandparents and his grandmother, Joe Beth, um, is still with us. And they operated lots of businesses on the downtown square. So it's really neat. It has some great history. It has exposed brick, original ceiling tiles. And it's really kind of fun because you can see where it's such an old building. Um, One part of the ceiling kind of is at an angle. And it's just (laughs) kind of, you can tell that, oh, this is a, you know, nearly a hundred year old building. But Mm -hmm. that character is what is so special. Yeah. And oh my gosh, Joe Beth, that might be the most Texas name I've ever heard. I love it. Oh, yes. Well, we actually, so we, in addition to naming Berkeley after my husband's grandfathers, their names were Burke and Eddie Lee. And Eddie Lee was um, married to Joe Beth. And uh, we name our wine after family members too. So I've got oh. another one for you that may even be more Texas. My great-grandmother's name was Banna Sue. Just oh my gosh. A and N A. And so we named one of our white wines Banna Sue. I absolutely love no I I love it and I'm a fan of like the Texas names you know I mean I think that's it's so like both my girls have middle names we call them we've got Brindley May and Sadie Kay and um yeah I I love those southern names they're so fun so that's amazing so getting into the wine business I mean that's definitely a competitive market to kind of jump into and I know that in a every business that people are starting, there's always the conversation around, well, it's just so saturated. There's so many other people doing the same thing that I'm doing. And, you know, how am I going to stand out? So what have y'all done jumping into that world to kind of help get your name out there and get some brand recognition and kind of get some, some momentum going behind your, your business and your brand name? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it is competitive. Luckily, wine drinkers, especially in Texas, are just multiplying by the numbers constantly. We're excited because it seems to be an industry that more and more people are opening themselves up to trying. And so we, from the beginning, it was very important to me that we have a good brand and that we let people know who we are as people, not just as a product. And so we try any chance we can to tell our story, to let people know know about the family history 
and our passion for growing not only on the land, but then developing the product into a beautiful glass of wine. And so from the beginning, it was really important to me to tell that story. So I was listening to one of your episodes a few weeks back, and you talked about having a blog and being active on social media. And that was something I actually started before we ever had our first bottle of wine available and really wanting to tell that story and let people know who we are. And so luckily, I mean, I know a lot of industries can be different, but in the wine industry, so many people are interested and they want to try new wines and people are giving Texas wine a chance and not just assuming, oh, California wine or, or Oregon wine or somewhere like that is better. Texas wine is really making a name for itself and showing that we can produce incredible wine right here. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I love that you have such a rich story to tell. And I think that's, you know, people on here have heard me say it a lot that one of the biggest marketing tips is that like, know, and trust factor that they need to know who you are. They need to like you and then they need to trust that you're going to give them a great product or service. And you have all that kind of built in because the history and the story behind your brand is so strong. I think people really connect with that, especially and not to say that other places don't, but you know, here in Texas, people love the stories of, of families that go back generations and, you know, it's different than just saying, oh, we just decided to start a winery and it's brand new. The fact that this is something that, you know, you come from a family of growers and local to that area, you didn't move into the area and start something. And being able to kind of play up on that and, and share that with people makes them feel connected to the wine, makes them want to buy more, drink more. And then you add in the fact that you have all this expertise to share with people. Because I know like for me personally, I love wine. And I love going to the wineries and learning different things. I don't know enough about it that I could carry on like a real in-depth conversation about it, but I love learning about it. And so the fact that you have this platform to share so much information and expertise, that's a huge marketing tool for your business. It really is. And, you know, not everyone might have the long family history that we have, but you can tell your story in some way. I mean, we really have tried to not only tell our story history, but develop our story as we go. And so we've really enjoyed finding ways that we can connect to the heritage, like naming the wines after um, family members, which has been a lot of fun. It also makes it easier when you're trying to pick names, just who's next. But uh, we really have tried to develop that story and to tie it in as much as we can to who we are and what we're communicating to people, not only in person, but on social media as well. Yeah, that's awesome. So last question I have for you before I let you go today is I always ask this at the end of every interview, what advice would you give if you had a friend who was coming to you and saying, okay, I'm getting ready to start this business. I have this idea or this product or this service I want to get out there. What would you say is your kind of number one piece of advice to someone who is new to business? Well, I would develop relationships. And I really do believe that our relationships with other wine growers and other wineries, even when you're in competition, it's so important to develop those relationships because people want to help their friends. And I really think that we are where we are today because we have been able to rely on the years of expertise and guidance of other wine growers and wineries. I mentioned before that it was another wine grower that inspired us to um, plant the vineyard. And it seems like you can develop a community even when you're in competition. I cannot tell you how many times um, we've had someone walk into the winery and say, oh, we were just at so-and-so's winery 20 miles down the road and they said to come to y'all next. Mm -hmm. And so word of mouth, a lot of my referrals, even in my own law practice, are from other attorneys. And so get to know people in your industry, build a community. You are all better if you build each other up and help each other. I love that. That is so true. And I think it's easy to get caught up in that competition. Or like I said, that feeling like that there's so many other people doing things out there and, but yeah, you can community over competition. You can have several people, like you said, Lubbock is becoming a popular wine country area. And there's a lot of people out there doing the same thing y'all are doing, but you're doing it your own way. And that's what is going to set you apart. And it, it made me think of this when you mentioned like people sending other get or clients of theirs to y'all's winery. 
there's a winery not far from where I live that my mom and I are members at. And we'll drive out there. It's about 45 minutes outside of uh, the Gainesville area. And we'll go out there on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. And there's about three other wineries around there. And it never fails, even though we're members at this one winery. Every time we go in, we start chatting with the people that are there. Someone always says, you know, front that works at the winery, oh, y'all need to head over to this place. They have this going on right now. Or, you know, they've got live music playing next weekend. Y'all should go check it out. And then, you know, come over here when you're done or whatever. And they, you can see that community within that little area, just those couple little wineries right there. They all are lifting each other up because they realize that if it benefits them, it's going to benefit, or if it benefits somebody else, it's going to benefit them as well. So that's great advice. Great advice. It really is because for us and lots of industries are this way, but the more people that are trying wine and giving it a chance, the more wine drinkers you're going to have. So as a community, we can really try to spread the word together and it really is community over competition. Yeah, I love it. So you also mentioned that you have a special offer for our listeners. Yes. So you're offering a 10% discount on online orders, correct? Yes, we are. And right now, as of today, we can only ship to Texas and New Mexico, but we are actively working on adding other states. The alcohol industry is very regulatory. And so we have to go through a process with each and every state that we go into. So we promise we're working hard to get in other states. But yes, if you're in Texas or New Mexico, we'd love to ship wine to you. If you hear this, you know, months from now, check out our website to see where all we're shipping now. Awesome. And I will link to all of that in the show notes. So I'll have all of your website information, how they can get a hold of you, follow you on social media. And then I'll link to that 10% discount as well. So thank you so much for coming on. I was so excited to talk with you. I, um, I think you have such great advice, not only legally, but just with the wine industry. And it's something unique and different where people listening who might find a little bit of their business in your business can take some little nuggets of information from. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to chat with us. Oh, thank you, Kendra. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Wow. That episode and interview was so helpful. Elizabeth is so knowledgeable and I appreciate her taking the time out of her busy schedule to chat with us and share her legal tips and advice. I hope that you got a lot of information out of that. If you want to follow Elizabeth, their winery, or learn more about how she can help you in your business, I'm going to link to all of her contact info in the show notes. That's also where you can find that 10% off coupon code. So go get you some of their wine. It's delicious. You can also find the link to the QuickBooks discount code that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. So make sure you head over to girlmeansbusiness.com forward slash episode 30 to get all of the show notes. And one thing that I'm adding to the show notes page now is you can now download or read through the transcripts of every episode. So I know some of you love listening and just keeping notes as you go or coming back to these episodes and jotting down ideas. If you're the type of person that wants to actually print something off or have the words in front of you to make notes and highlight and underline things, now you can do that. So when you go to that show notes page at girlmeansbusiness.com forward slash episode 30, scroll down to the bottom, there will be a button where you can go to the script, the transcripts. Now you'll be able to see word for word what Elizabeth and I talked about in our interview, as well as all the helpful tips that she shared. So again, head over to the show notes today at girlmeansbusiness.com forward slash episode 30. Get all of the amazing links for your 10% off your wine, your QuickBooks discount code, and then head over and check out the transcript for all of today's great tips. All right, guys, thanks again for tuning in this week. I hope you have an amazing week and I will talk to you again next week. Same time, same place. If you love today's episode, don't forget to click the subscribe button so you never miss when a new episode goes live. Then head over to iTunes and leave a quick review to let other people know just how much you loved it. Thanks, ladies. See you next week.